the vast majority of millionaires today did not receive it in inheritance. They made it themselves. They worked at it. They did not go into college debt or into student loan debt. They didn't go into debts with a car. There's a book out called The Millionaire Next Door. It talks about a decamillionaire, a person who has at least $10 million. The average million, uh, decamillionaire drives a five-year-old car. And one guy, he came in in jeans and a shirt and said, I like my beer two ways, Budweiser and free. <laughs> A young, a young person, say 22 years old, they start putting in $200 into their Roth IRA. $200 per month. That would be $2,400 per year. Do that for 10 years. And then after 10 years, don't put any more money in. When that person becomes 67 years old, they will have accumulated approximately $2.4 million with that money that was put in between 21 and 30. And they stop putting money in after that. And they that. stop putting money in. Now imagine, imagine, that's only 200. Our maximum for any Roth IRA is 500 per month or 6,000 per year. Imagine what that would be like if you put $6,000 per year into a Roth IRA and kept putting 6,000 in to 40 to 50. Can you imagine how much? It's like nine, $10 million. You've probably heard more money, more problems, but I tell you what's also true is less money, more problems sometimes. Money's a complicated thing, and that's exactly why I'm talking with my friend today, Scott Miller, the founder of Moving Forward Today Financial Coaching. Scott, thank you so much for coming on today. It's a pleasure to be here. It really is. Hey, the pleasure is absolutely all mine. So we just met a couple days ago at a solopreneurs meeting with the McLean County Chamber mm -hmm. of Commerce. Yeah. I heard your story very briefly. You said you were seriously in debt with your wife mm -hmm. and you somehow came out of that so much so that now you're actually advising people. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. always great to learn from people who've been sure. through the darkest of times in a given industry or a given field and they really know what it's like to be there and how exactly to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So tell us why, first of all, what do you do with Moving mm -hmm. Forward Today Financial Coaching? What I do and my goal uh, is to help others build a better relationship with their money. I help them whether they are in debt and then we want to help them get out of debt or we they may not be in debt and they maybe they have an inheritance coming and they don't know how they're afraid they're afraid of screwing it up. Hmm. Um, uh, people some people don't know how to budget. Some people don't know really the details of how to set up for retirement. Um, they live day to day. We all live day to day. Uh, some people live for Friday. Some people live for next month. Some people live for Christmas. Some people live for for today. And they don't think about the future. I didn't either. I didn't think about retirement years when I should have. And I that's one of the things I do is I help people put that in perspective and realize and help people realize it. Retirement's coming. You can't change that. <laughs> you know, college is an option. Uh, uh, travel is an option. You know, world travel is an option. Uh, whether you have the money or not, that's up to you. But retirement is not is not going away. It's going to happen to everybody. You, me, you know, everybody upstairs too. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Uh, that's what I try to do. I work with people one-on-one -on -one 
or I work with couples who um, feel that they have some issues that they need to resolve in their financial life or in their financial world. And that's what I try to do. I try to help them. I sometimes take a journey with them, maybe three, six months, maybe a year, uh, maybe longer. Uh, But what I want to do is put them in a much better position than where they came to me originally. Mm -hmm. You told me before we recorded that you try to teach financial fitness. Mm -hmm. What does Mm -hmm. financial fitness mean exactly? Financial fitness is an awareness of what you have in your finances, what your all your income is, and being aware of your spending habits, being aware of your your what you're spending your money on, um, and being aw- also being aware of what's what is there for the long term, what is available for for the short term. Um, people think, well, I'm always going to have a car payment. Really? Is that, is that the average thought pattern uh, today? It might be because everybody's got a car loan. Everybody's got a car. Everybody's got two. Some people have two cars. Um, some people have a really expensive car and they, and they wonder, well, I'm paying $600 a month and I, gosh, I'm really in trouble here. What are my, what are my options? Well, Maybe they have to lop off the Tahoe, you know, and, <laughs> and pick up uh, a, a smaller car or pick up an older car. Older cars aren't necessarily worse. They're, they just look older, maybe. They don't have all the gadgets and the gizmos that, that are coming out in the new cars today. Mm-hmm. But at least when a person has maybe an older car, I have, a, you know, I have an old RAV4, but I don't need a new Cadillac. I don't need a new whatever it is, the next car, I, I need transportation. It's like, I don't need a new bike. I need to work out. (laughs) Some people might think they do need that new car because God forbid they're laughed at or they don't keep up with the Joneses Ah, or their friends have nicer cars or they don't look like they've got it all together because they have this old early 2000s car. I really want help to help people to understand their perspective in life. I don't think the people who are concerned about whether they have a new car or not are going to be at their deathbed. I don't think they're going to be really caring about what they're, how they're feeling and how they're feeling about the, about the massive car payment they have. They're, I remember a, a friend of mine, uh, Jill Savage, had, used to say that the the people uh, the outs what you see on facebook on the outside of people's life is not the same as what they have on the inside is in your concern about your insides and comparing to their outsides in other words what what you see on facebook you're comparing their outward appearance with your inward feelings and so i would feel much better not knowing I have a huge car payment and I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. If if I don't have a large car payment, does anybody really care? No, not necessarily. But I but I I can sleep at night knowing I don't have to rummage around looking for uh, looking for money to get that. Right. Or it could be a bigger house. It could be a it could be a mansion. I, we could live in a twenty five hundred square foot house. 
and I moved from one to a smaller house because we don't need it. We don't need a bigger house. My wife doesn't want to clean that much. <laughs> the small amount of pleasure or happiness that you lose by giving up the thing that you didn't really need that you're making so many payments on oh. is going to pale in comparison to the happiness you will gain mm-hmm. by the peace of mind that you'll get from not being in debt. Maybe. You said it. You said it. Peace of mind. Think about that. That's The peace that you have, it means better health because you're not worried it means it, it means you can sleep better because and you can and you can think about yourself and 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 feel better all the self-esteem stuff uh, is is good to a certain extent but you want to feel good about what's going on in your life and i think you care more about you than other people care about you in fact the person who you may be thinking is really concerned about the kind of car you're driving I don't think they've thought about you for 10 seconds. <laughs> right. And it doesn't matter right. because I want to live my life the best way I know how. And my mission, my life mission, is to put people in a better position than before I met them. That's all I want to do. If it's a smile and make another person smile, great. If I can, be, if I can go into a deep dive and help them financially, that's what I'll do. It seems like the field of financial advising seriously incorporates human psychology and maybe even spirituality. It seems like it's an ego battle as well as a, just, mm-hmm. I don't know what else. You just want to impress people. You have the wrong relationship with money. Your mm-hmm. priorities are all out of whack. There's pride involved. So yeah, it's spiritual, psychological, it seems like. A lot of the conversations we have aren't financial. <laughs> what are they? they? Well, they, they have about? to do, they'll have to do with what you've mentioned. They worried about other what other people think about you they worry about pride uh, they worry they, they are ashamed about the decisions they've made and and nobody knows that better than me I have been as I as you mentioned in the beginning of the pro podcast that uh, I was in debt I was in deep debt uh, many years ago I found a program uh, it was introduced to me and and my wife, and we said, you know, we've got to we got to make something work. We got to make this happen. And it was due to a very persistent and loving wife, uh, very devoted to our marriage. Uh, we've been married forty three years, and one step after the other, we made it. And uh, now now that we're out of debt, I mean, it's it's so much easier uh, to to deal with life's issues. I have a, uh, I get to go into the dentist on Monday and have a root canal. Well, $1,300, where's that going to come from? Well, I've got it in my emergency fund. <laughs> and so I write a check. I don't have to think about, oh, do I need to, do I need to put in one credit card or this credit card? Or do I have to, can I get a payment program? Uh, that's more and more monthly debt that I have to go through. No, I just write a check and I'm done and it's healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so much, that's a different, it's a, it's a different situation than if you're up to your eyeballs in debt and you're worried about where all your interest is going, all your money is going toward all the interest. Right. Before we get into that emergency fund, because some people are like, how can I worry about an emergency fund when I have to worry about getting food on the table right now? <laughs> that's exactly right. 
how much, if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. how much in debt were you, and how did you get there? Well, we, I, I want to, I didn't have a number exactly. It was somewhere close to ninety thousand um, dollars, and uh, that didn't include the house, um, and uh, so most of it was credit cards. Um, some of it was medical. Uh, some of it was school loans, not my school loans, but actually our daughter's school loans. And, um, and that's, uh, one thing led to another. We worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. It was, it was in a sense, rice and beans, beans and rice type of thing. Um, uh, chicken, uh, chicken noodles, uh, chicken noodle casserole, a lot, <laughs> but it, w- and it was not taking certain vacations, um, staying with relatives. I mean, you name it. Um, uh, I've made decisions. I, I leased a car once. That was a mistake. That was a big mistake. Is that a mistake? Some people think that's the way to do it. I've heard people try to convince me of that. Right, but it isn't. Um, it's probably the most expensive way of operating a car. And you never own lease. it. And you never own it. And when you finish the last payment, it's gone. The car's gone. Provided you don't have to owe money for excess mileage that you put on the car. And so, so you've got that too to deal with. Um, I've, I, we refinance loans. Well, refinancing a loan, a mortgage loan, uh, doesn't change the, beha- doesn't necessarily change the behavior of racking up more credit card debt. You eliminate the credit card debt, but all you've done is transfer that money over to your mortgage, all, all that, all that uh, debt to your mortgage. And now you've got low credit card debt, but you've got a higher mortgage. And so all you've done is transfer it one to another. You still have the debt. Pardon me. Sorry. Re-say that. How did your credit card debt go to your mortgage again? I think I missed something. When you refinance a loan, they call it cash-out mortgage. And when you, if you have enough equity in in your house, you can actually transfer the balance of a credit card debt. Let's say a thousand. Say you have a thousand dollars in credit card debt. You could actually transfer that over to a, a, ref, a refinance your mortgage. Let's say my mortgage was at eighty thousand dollars, and I wanted to increase it to. I wanted to refinance it for a hundred thousand. Well, I've got twenty thousand. I could. Uh, I'd have the house is worth, or the debt to the house is worth eighty thousand, and I now I've got twenty thousand of new potential cash. And I can pay off that debt. I could pay off the car. I could pay off other things. But basically, you're not you're not reducing your debt. All you're doing is transferring your debt of your car over to a new mortgage that's higher than before. Okay. So for people, let's put things ridiculously clearly. For sure. people that might not understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So you can, if you do not pay back your credit card at the end of the month, that just keep that number keeps adding up. It's like, hey, you're hundred dollars behind this month. Next and you're month. accruing interest, right? Yes, you're hundred dollars behind. You have this this much to pay. Here you can keep spending though. End of next month, look, you spent two hundred dollars too much this month. And you didn't pay it back. Now you have three hundred. Keep doing that till you're at a thousand, two thousand dollars, and then this is when you go to someone who's a refinancer, who it's their job to mm-hmm. rearrange your debts more or less, and yes. say, hey. 
somehow, I don't know how they do this exactly, but they take your credit card debt and they say, we're just going to add this onto your mortgage. Congratulations, credit card debt is gone, but now your mortgage on your home is this is much more. Higher. Right. Exactly. So you haven't reduced your debt. You just you're rearranged just, it. You just rearranged it. Now, the problem with that is that if your behavior hasn't changed and you increase that debt again on the credit card, now you've got, now you've got look at all this credit limit you have. Oh, it's huge. Now you still have that credit limit. Oh, there it goes again. It's going to go up and up and up. Scott, what do you think about credit cards? It sounds, I don't have a credit card. I'm really big against okay. them, actually, because it's okay. spending money that you quite literally mm-hmm. do not have. Mm-hmm. The tractor cab is the mission control of the entire farming operation. Worn out and outdated tractor cabs lead to annoying discomfort, hindered productivity, dangerous sound levels, and lower resale value. This is why you need to revive your tractor cab with Fair Cab Interiors. Today, we use our vast facility in the cornfields of Illinois to manufacture high-quality custom tractor upholstery for over 750 models from the 1960s all the way through to the 2010s. Our team of product engineers carefully design each new part, emphasizing product fit and ease of installation for anyone to install. We offer acoustical foam panels, pro-form plastic panels, headliners, floor mats, door and window seals, seats, and and much more. We carefully monitor lamination quality, use premium grade foam, and utilize the highest standards of raw materials when manufacturing. With our massive inventory and delivery trucks that pick up daily, logistics are a snap. Our call center is manned not by robot answering machines, but real, experienced, and knowledgeable people who will provide you with installation tips, product details, and help with any questions you may have before or after the sale. But don't just take our word for all this. See what people are saying on faircab.com and Google reviews where we've earned over 2,000 five-star reviews when the time comes to fix up your aging tractor interior try out the cab interior experts at fair cab visit us at faircab.com or give us a call at 815-692-3355 what do you think about that principle um the principle is awesome i think it's right i think it's good Um, for those people i'll run into people who do have credit cards they pay them off. The issue of credit card has to do with spending. When you pay cash for, let's say you pay cash for a um, an item, uh, maybe it's a, a an expensive item, maybe it's a, a TV. Okay, you pay cash, you pay, what would you pay? $600 for a TV. It's a new 65-inch TV. If you put 100, 200, 300, 400, 600 something dollars of cash, you're you're feeling that cash leaving you. <laughs> and and so there is a there's an emotional there's an emotional feeling of re- leaving that cash with the seller and taking the TV with you. There's a difference in if you instead of having cash you use a debit card because you haven't seen that cash leave you. It's simply a transfer of the bank. It's a bank transfer. That's all it is. What's worse is a credit card because now, oh, your bank balance isn't lower. Shoot, throw the credit card in there. 600 bucks on the credit card. Oh, nobody's thinking about the $30, $40 a month that you're going to have to pay minimum payment on that over $40 over 60. That's a lot of money. (laughs) 
you know, and, and you can five, ten, fifteen. Is that fifteen months that you're going to be spending to pay for that TV? And if you pay minimum payments, you're adding interest every single month, and you can you'll be spending fifteen. You could be spending fifteen years paying off that TV. Hmm. It's very interesting what you're saying because it's making me think. One, you pay cash. You hand. It's a physical transaction. Physical. And we talked about psychology a little bit. We'll talk more about it. But mm-hmm. for the drastic majority of human history, every transaction, if I, if we're cavemen and I want this <laughs> thing you just killed, I'm going to give you this thing that I just killed, or I'm going to give you this tool. It's a mutual. It's a trade. Mm-hmm. I have a thing. You have a thing. We both leave, but we're physically giving something. Exactly. Even with cash. Exactly. Even with Jesus's time, it was handing over coins. Coins. It's hey, whatever. here's a coin. It's a trade. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. We both give something. <clears throat> We both get something. We both lose something physical, and we see that. It's so strange when you start to get in with a credit card, a debit card even, but let alone a credit card. You, I want this TV. I give you the TV. You say that'll be $600. I go like this. I keep the card. Nothing happens, and I take the, the TV. I'm like, Nothing. I'm living You didn't good. see anything. Right. You didn't, you didn't feel, feel anything. anything. That's exactly right. Now, right. Diners Club was started back in the 40s. I think it was the 30s or 40s, where – a person would bring his friends and his and their wives to a dining to a dining center, um, uh, to a restaurant, and they would uh, they would just put it on the tab, and they had a tab at that restaurant, and that's when Diners Club actually started, and then they would pay it off at the end of the month. That wasn't credit in a sense that we have as like Visa and Mastercard, but it was a it was a tab. On the at that restaurant that you paid every single month, but then that's when it started going further and further into the idea of credit, mm-hmm. and um, and now uh, Visa and Mastercard are spending four billion—that's with a B—a billion dollars a year in marketing, and why? Because it works, and everybody uses Visa and Mastercard. <laughs> How do credit card companies make money? They make money on the interest. They pay they you the average person the average person will not pay the balance of their credit card. They'll make a minimum payment um, of thirty dollars, forty dollars, fifty dollars, whatever it may be, fifteen dollars. But they won't they don't make it a really big deal. They say, Jim, just make a minimum payment. You're good. What they don't, what the buyer doesn't see is that the interest that was in, accrued at an unbelievable 18, 21, 24% per annum. In, in other words, uh, be 24% would be 1.5%, per, what is it? No, no, 2% per month that they have to pay of interest on, un, on the balance of their credit card. When you said the thing about a minimum payment, again, mm-hmm. I don't have a credit card. If I swipe my credit card mm-hmm. at and I'm buying, say, a couch for $1,000. $1,000, okay. What The minimum payment, does that mean I pay like $100 right uh, then and there? Maybe you probably pay, I don't know, it's probably anywhere $30, $40. I think it's about $40, $40, $45 every month. If you want to make a minimum payment, they'll be fine with that. And then they're, what you're doing is you're at least paying the interest on that payment, on that on that one thousand dollar couch, you're paying at least the minimum 
uh, at least the interest, and then some, maybe a little bit, a little bit of principle. Okay, but really? the majority's interest, maybe though. The majority would be interest. Yeah, that's strange. And then, but it's, imagine it's going to take you fifteen years if you keep doing minimum payments. It's going to take you a long time, and that's one of the reasons why a student, uh, the student loan debacle. Um, imagine. We're at 1.4 trillion in credit card debt now in America. I think student loans are at 1.7 trillion. That's amazing. It's it's dumbfounding. Um, I recommend a movie out, or it's a documentary called Borrowed Future. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on any number of places. But it talks about the debacle and the and the real crummy issues regarding student loan. Uh, debt and student loan issues, and these and are the only loans you can't default out of, right? Or go you can't you, on. Uh, on bankruptcies. They are not bankruptable. In other words, they're not forgivable in bankruptcy. That's the only ones that the only ones I know of. And uh, but I I, I realized <laughs> sixty no it's it's amazing sixty eight percent of millionaires today who went to college did not have student loans. Say that again. 68% of millionaires with a college degree never took out student loans. Hmm. Now, if you're a millionaire, I think I'd listen to how you got there. <laughs> Why not? I mean, they succeeded. And, and the vast majority, the vast majority of millionaires today did not... Uh, did not receive it in inheritance. They made it themselves. And uh, so it's, it's, it's really important, but they worked at it. They, they did not go into debt, and like, you, like you're saying. They did not go into college debt or, or into student loan debt. They didn't go into debts for the car. They didn't, many of them. There's a book out called The Millionaire Next Door. It talks about a decamillionaire person who has at least 10 million dollars the average guy drives a five-year-old car the average million uh, decamillionaire drives a five-year-old car and one guy one guy said uh he says yeah i have a car and he came in in jeans and a shirt and a a kind of a just an old old sport coat and said i like my beer two ways budweiser and free (laughs) (laughs) i thought that makes sense. They don't seem overly concerned with being flashy. No. The person who's flashy, who's got the who's, who you see has the cars, has the house, the big house, has a boat, has everything, and the decamillionaire will say, I'll bet that person is all hat and no cattle. In other words, he's, it's all show, and the bank owns everything. Or... The credit card companies own everything, whatever. But it's it's uh, it's a different lifestyle. Um, it really is. Um, and I'm trying. Every person I help, as I'm trying to help them change their perspective, change their relationship with their money in such a way to realize it's not about what they think of me. It's what I think of me. And I learned a while back that who I am and what I do are different. 
I have failed many times. I've lost jobs. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've made some bad decisions. But that's not who I am. I'm a, I, think I'm a, I think I'm a good person. I don't cheat. I don't steal from people. I don't beat people up. I don't uh, coerce people into doing things. I try to help. I want to help. But my role in whatever I'm doing is not, it, it is not tied up to who I am. So many times, men especially, are tied up between their role and who they are. It's just it's wrapped up in rope, and, and they can't get away from it. You talk, talk to somebody and say, oh, what do you do? What was the question I just asked? It's what do you do? What do you do? Oh, well, I'm, I'm an executive, or I'm, an, I'm a welder, or I'm a, uh, I'm a manager, I'm a supervisor. I, what do you do? I'm a garbage, garbage collector. What would people think about that? Heck, a garbage collector. I need a garbage collector real bad. I mean, <laughs> if it because if it doesn't, if they don't collect, I I have problems around my house. <laughs> you know, so everybody's as they say essential. Everyone has an essential job, and uh, and but it really doesn't matter what they do if they if they're happy in what they're doing and getting it done and proud of what they're doing and they're doing a good job, a, a job of excellence, then why not? It's You do very important work of helping people to develop a proper, healthy relationship mm-hmm. with their finances, mm-hmm. especially married couples, people with families. It's, mm-hmm. Nothing's more important in a way than making sure your finances are good to go so you're not mm-hmm. so freaking stressed. Something I've heard is when the aristocracy gets a cold, the middle and lower class die of pneumonia, which means yep. when you're well off, you get a cold, you're okay. But when you're down at the bottom of the hierarchy and you are stressed, stress is a technical and scientific term, your attention, your energy is so divided and just making sure you stay alive, a little cold can give you pneumonia, quite literally. It can. It can. So when these people are stressed, one more thing might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So it's incredibly important that they get a handle on their finances. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, what are some of the core things that you teach, the common things that you teach, basic first-level things that you'll tell your clients? Well, some of the first things I have to do is I have to help them become aware of what they're spending. I ask them, take an inventory of what you spent over the last, say, two months. One month, two months, say, today is August 20th. Um, Let's say in July and June, what did you spend your money on? If you can, if you look at your ATM transactions, you look at your, um, you look at your checkbook, or you look at your credit card statements. What did you spend your income on? Because you had a certain amount of income, and you, you, you'll do that. One client told me after our second, uh, at the beginning of our second meeting, she says, "I can't believe I spent that much at restaurants." I can't believe it because a busy mom with three kids could 
essentially spend thousand or more dollars at McDonald's just running in, grabbing lunch, running in, grabbing lunch, running in and grabbing dinner. Especially if she's using a card. Yeah, especially if she's using a card. But she's busy with three, four kids. And what do you do? And that's what happens. Well, awareness is curative. I heard that and I use that now. Awareness of what you're spending is the first step. Now you know where you are. It's like looking at a map. Where are you now? And now if you know where you are, and then you can tell where you're, you can find out where you're going to go or where you want to go. Then our next step is to look at what we're spending. And we're looking at what the income is and what the outgo is. If there's a big difference, in other words, if you end up with a negative number on the bottom, we got a problem. So what steps, what basic steps would a person take to, to get to a point where their income equals all of their outgo, at least there, if not more. So they're a break-even, at least. At least they're break-even. Um, and some people are saving money. Some people are putting money in their 401k, which, you know, if they work for a living. And that could, that could be happening currently, even though they're running under uh, a deficit in their, in their overall uh, budget or in their overall spending. And then we talk about putting together a spending plan. A plan, there, there aren't too many millionaires who did not have a plan to become a millionaire. Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury is my favorite grocery store, not just in Central Illinois, but in the world. And for good reason. They have the most incredible customer service, friendly carryout workers, an exquisite and affordable bakery where fresh-baked goods are prepared daily, and a deli market that is truly top-notch, that provides plenty of seating, delicious food, and even free coffee, if you can believe that. And their canned meats are out of this world. This is all just the tip of the iceberg, though, so if you haven't been here, you are really missing out. Come check out Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury, Illinois, where they've been wowing the customer for 72 years. A financial plan. A financial plan specifically. How they will spend their yep. money, how exactly. much they'll get, stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. You won't find that. What you'll find is that once you look at that and saying, oh, well, I'm spending $260 at HBO or on, on, on cable, do we really use that much cable? Do we really need that much cable? I'm a slow reader, and I love listening to books. I've listened to over almost almost 300 books in the last three years. I can do that because I'm a slow reader, <laughs> and I can work. You know, I can work, and I can I can listen to a I can listen to a, a story, or I can listen to a good a good work. I can listen to a podcast. I can listen to all kinds of things that are really helpful and uh, and and beneficial for me um, but it could be it could be cable let's look at let's look at the um, cable is one thing let's look at food uh, one person told me that uh, you if you're in debt the only reason you should be in a restaurant is if you're working there <laughs> now <laughs> that may be radical but at the same time you think about it why should you be in debt? Well, if you're not, if, if you're limiting, if you can eliminate, let's say a person goes to McDonald's five times a week. One of my clients was that way. And I said, okay, I'm not going to say cold turkey, 
but how about reducing that to two or three? That's a start. And then you start looking at other areas that would help reduce the amount of money being spent per month. And that's the way we start. That's the, the spending plan. After that, the, the, the next big step is to look at your debt. And, and let's, let's start just making a whole list. We've got to be honest with ourselves and everything that we have debt on. Um, some people forget about, um, they'll forget about an old debt to a family member, or they'll forget about a debt that, a student loan debt that they have, are in forbearance with. But they need to put that into that debt snow or that, that debt mountain and, and look at it from smallest to largest debt and then start. We'll start going after, you, know, get, you have to make minimum payments on every debt, but we'll start on that top one. What kind of extra cash could we do? What kind of extra cash could we apply to that first debt so that we could get rid of it, get rid of it for good, and then go to the next one and go to the next one and go to the next one. So that's, you know, we have a debt snowball and we try to work on that. Mm -hmm. The next step after we're out of consumer debt, we still have a mortgage maybe, maybe we don't, doesn't matter. But the next step is when we talked about an emergency fund or having having an emergency amount of some some emergency stash so that in case we have a tooth issue, you can pay for it, of new filling, uh, a root canal like I'm going to have. Or a car problem of or some Or a car sort. problem, a, a brake issue. You know, you're exactly right. You have to take it in and stop running. Oh, no. Oh, it needs a starter. Or it needs... You know, you're, it's missing. It's missing something else. It overheats. Well, you need a new, you needed radiator rated. You know, uh, rotted out. Uh, whatever it is, whatever whatever issue it might be, we all have issues. I don't care who it is. We all have issues. So that emergency fund, at least it's a starter emergency. Or that emergency fund would be three to six months of our expenses. Once we establish what our expenses will be, we know what three three to six months would be. If a person works for a living, works for someone else, and they have a steady income, eh, three to four months might be worthwhile. For myself, I prefer six to seven to eight months of, uh, of uh, emergency fund uh, because I don't know what my income will be from one month to the next. But I don't have to worry, and I can just draw from that a little bit. I work extra hard, and I make more, so I can put more money into that, and I'm done, and I'm set. So if I make $40,000 in a year, it'd be a good idea. Now, this is pretty liberal, I would say. To say have you, you can have $20,000 saved up for your emergency fund if you wanted six months' worth yes. of income if to you be saved spend, up. If you spend 40000 a year, okay, if you spend 40000 a year, I would have twenty thousand dollars in an emergency fund. Oh, yeah, I thought it was twenty fifty percent of your income. Okay, no, so if you it, have more like five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars expenses a year, mm -hmm. then th mm -hmm. a year is that what? No, it would be. Let's say if you if you have if you spend five thousand dollars a month, a month, right? So it'd okay. be sixty thousand dollars. Okay, if you spend sixty thousand dollars a year, and that's not out of the ordinary, sixty thousand, and that's for everything, for gas, for food, for clothing, for everything. Having at least three months of that, so it'd be fifteen thousand, or possibly thirty thousand. In my case, I'd probably have thirty to forty thousand, and I just that's just me. 
depends upon the person, how, how comfortable they feel. But once they have that, then Murphy can show up. You lose your job. Well, what's the first thing you do? Well, you start looking for another job. But do you have to worry about feeding yourself? No, because you've got not for the next you've got six something. Or so. Yeah, right, exactly. And you don't have to worry about the next day. You can concentrate on looking for another job, getting yourself set up. Take a day off, just rest, figure out what went wrong, what happened, and then move on. It's a self-created financial insurance program. Exactly, exactly. And I'll tell you, the peace that comes from having that emergency fund is so. It is so wonderful that you, your, your, <laughs> um, my emotional feelings are I, the peace. I, let me put it that way: the peace that comes with having that emergency fund in place is so neat. It's so fun to have because now I know. Oh, crumb! That guy just that guy just kind of screwed me over for a you know for a for whatever something I wanted. Well, he did me a bad thing. Well, it didn't, it didn't kill me. And and, and it didn't, I didn't lose all my emergency fund. I paid extra that I shouldn't have. Okay. So what, you know, I felt bad. I had a $2,300 car payment or car uh, repair on our, on our, uh, on our Honda, 2,300 bucks. I was mad. I was mad because do, do we really have to repair every, I mean have to have to replace everything new on that or isn't there anything that that isn't something I started bickering about that 2300 I can pay it mm. <laughs> it didn't matter to me it's just I was I was concerned that we were getting the value for what we were paying that's all mm. so you don't worry about you don't worry about the financial issues case in point having a life insurance policy Having life insurance, if you're working and your spouse is working and you have kids, and having a life insurance policy is the very same thing as having that emergency fund, is because the reason for the life insurance policy is to replace that person's income so that you don't have to sell your house, you don't have to, you don't have to change your lifestyle just because... <laughs> just because because a spouse passed away i have a friend who lost a 42 year old wife just last week i don't know what he's going through and i don't know if she had insurance i hope she did but i know people who have had to sell their house because they didn't have the insurance they needed and i know people who have gone into crisis because they didn't have the emergency fund they they needed they maxed out their they maxed out their credit cards. They were absolutely miserable because they didn't have any kind of an emergency fund to work with. And then they get desperate, maybe, because oh, oh, they need some money. They had nothing absolutely. there for the rainy day. Absolutely, and that goes back to our non financial issues. Well, a person I know, a person who was um, who want couldn't bear to separate, couldn't bear to get rid of a camper. And I think it was, I don't know why, but I think it might have been that that camper represented something that represented some defiant piece of their life. And they would, couldn't get rid of it. They were still paying on it 
and they were paying for the truck that used they used to pull it, but they couldn't bear to get rid of it. It was an extra part of their life. They could have gotten rid of it, but they were they they, they were maxed out in their credit cards. They were they were in real issue, real big trouble, but they wouldn't do it. So that comes down to pride, to not oh I don't know not giving up on an old issue. Becoming unnecessarily emotionally attached to a given exactly. Thing. Oh yes, emotionally attachment. Emotional attachment is a real issue, and it's not financial. It's really a more emotional, and our it's our behavior, and while we want to change that, um, to change that relationship, again, who needs the biggest house? Who needs the you know something else that's that's going to show something when when we're in we're in desperate. <laughs> we're in we're in desperate need of of just some some peace in our life. Mm-hmm. So wow, and it sometimes seems like people just need a coach to get their yeah. Head on some people do a little bit. I have a co- I have a client that that they just they said last week or they said last month rather they said I'm just glad you're here because I don't think we would have done what we did if we didn't have someone holding us accountable. Mm-hmm. And working with us, I have a person in Florida, who uh, a seventy-one-year-old, and she's she just was scared of spending her money. She didn't know how to spend it. She was spending it everywhere, and uh, now we're on a plan. We're we're on a plan with her to to get her out of her debt, and I I'm so excited for her that uh, that she'll be able to probably within the next couple of years. A 26-year-old engineer in, in Deland, Florida, is getting married this October. He can't wait, but he realized he thought it was going to take him till 2030, 2032 to get rid of his debt. We put together a we put together what we called that snowball, that debt snowball, and he will be done in two years, in wow. three months. Good for him. Before oh, he's yeah. even 30. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah going to be debt free. Oh, it's it's so exciting. And on the average from the time the person starts with their debt to the time they get to become a millionaire is about 18 years. 18 to 9, no, 17 to 19 years. They can do it. Everybody could do it. And does being a millionaire mean that you have a million dollars in net worth in, that if you sold everything you worth, own? Yes. You'd have a million dollars. Assets, home, um Maybe not necessarily cars, but basically assets, um, retirement funds, and savings, and uh, and mortgage, or not mortgage. I'm sorry, mortgage, not a mortgage. A home, and retirement savings, and any other savings they have would equal a million dollars um, that they that they do own outright. That would be a millionaire. Huh. Interesting. Yes. Very, very interesting. Okay, you've talked about beans and rice. You've talked about the debt snowball. <laughs> oh, Certainly, yeah. you must have read a little bit of Dave Ramsey at least. Yes, I did. I did. That's in fact that's the program that I actually used, and I, along with about really actively active about two hundred and fifty to three hundred uh, coaches, are all around the United States. We have, I I know of two other coaches right in the area, right in Bloomington Normal uh, area. And there are other coaches in um, Peoria. There are other coaches in um, up north, further north. Um, 
And it's not competition here. It's just there's so many people. Seven out of ten people are living paycheck to paycheck. Seven out of ten. And that's an understatement. Um, certain groups of people might not be as much, uh, uh, might be living paycheck to paycheck, but average is about seven to eight, between seven and eight people out of ten are living paycheck to paycheck. That's, that's a rat race I do not want to be a part of again. Fairbury Furniture is Central Illinois' premier furniture store. This family-owned business offers a vast selection of premium furniture items from all of your favorite brands, including Sealy, Best Home Furnishings, Leather Italia, Tempur-Pedic, and Ashley, just to name a few. And right next door to their gorgeous 7,000-square-foot furniture showroom, you will find the Fairbury Furniture Mattress Store, home to all of the latest and greatest mattresses in any and all sizes. Also inside Fairbury Furniture is the popular WC Market, a beloved shop that offers an ever-changing selection of unique gifts and fashionable home decor. So make your home interior beautiful, comfortable, stylish, and delightful when you shop at Fairbury's own Fairbury Furniture. Come on down to Fairbury Furniture, where the furniture rocks. Talk to me a little bit about saving, because mm-hmm. some people say it's ridiculous to save your money in your bank account because mm-hmm. inflation goes higher than the interest of your bank could make the value of your True. account go up. And mm-hmm. what do you think about saving money, having cash? Should you invest? And what should you invest mm-hmm. in maybe? How should okay. you save? That's the question. Yeah, good. That's a good question. Really good question. Because when you're when you get out of debt and you start accumulating some money, what you want to do is is one of the steps that I include is I want people to at least be saving about 15% of their take-home pay. Um, Oh, 15% of their income. I'm sorry. 15% of their income and put that into retirement savings. Uh, Some people can. Some people can't put that much. They could put more, but that's just a, a... that's just an average uh, percentage that they should be paying. Inflation, you see, uh, said that uh, inflation is, is about well, right it's nine eight nine percent. It's the highest in forty years. So prior to that, you had in, uh, inflation of one percent, two percent, three percent. So it really wasn't big. But when you save, you can save on average ten to. 10 to 13 percent in mutual funds and if you keep doing that and if uh, if you keep putting money away regularly no matter when no matter if the market is up no matter if the market is down if you have a balanced fund portfolio and you keep putting money in on average 15 percent you'll be okay Um, a person who puts in, say, a young a young person, 21 years old, say 22 years old, and they start putting in $200 into their Roth IRA, $200 per month. That would be $2,400 per year. Do that for 10 years. And then after 10 years, don't put any more money in. When that person becomes 67 years old, they will have accumulated approximately million with that money that was put in between 21 and 30 
And they stopped putting money in after that? And they that? stopped putting money in. Now imagine, imagine, that's only 200. Our maximum for any Roth IRA is 500 per month or 6,000 per year. Imagine what that would be like if you put $6,000 per year into a Roth IRA and kept putting 6000 in for not past 21, but to 40, to 50. Can you imagine how much? It's like $9, 10000000 million. Hmm. It's... <laughs> It's very, For very cool. For people who really don't know much about finance, investing, mm-hmm. Roth IRAs, a Roth IRA is, an inv- is a retirement plan. It is. And what that is is every month from your bank account gets sucked out a number that you choose. Is that right? Or you can put money in on your own in uh, into a, a qualified retirement plan. Which I imagine would be much harder to do. Like what I have set up on Fidelity is mm-hmm. just automatic investments. It sucks out See? a little bit and then yep. invests it. Yep. But with the Roth, R- Roth IRA, it you put this money in or it sucks it no. out of your bank account. Same thing. Same thing that you're doing, mm-hmm. except that it's a Roth. It's a qualified IRA plan. Same thing with a traditional IRA plan or 401k uh, for those who work for someone. A 401k is uh, similar. But the 401k, when you start pulling money out of it and re- in, during retirement years, you have to pay taxes on that. The interesting, and, and we all worship Bill Roth, Senator Bill Roth from the 1970s. <laughs> um, uh, from the, uh, I can't remember exactly when he started that. It was in, I thought it was in the 90s. But uh, the Roth IRA allows you to put in upwards of $6,000 per year. But when you but that's that money is actually money that's after taxes. Mm. You've already paid taxes on that money that you put into the Roth IRA. And the and the wonderful thing about that is when you're ready to take money out of your Roth IRA, it's tax free. So you don't have to fork over any chunk of that to the government not a penny and you can grow that any number of ways you can grow that in retirement funds uh, in in uh, mutual funds you can do it in stocks you can do it in bonds you can do it in uh, gold you can do it in any number of ways. And what you're saying for people that really do not know, because you're, you're a financial genius, right? So a lot of people, such as myself, are way lower on the totem pole. We don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> but you're basically saying that when you invest in a Roth IRA, you set up a Roth IRA, this retirement mm-hmm. plan, mm-hmm. and you schedule such and such amount of money to go into this each month mm-hmm. with a max of $600, $500 a $500 a month. $500 a month. $500 a month. And then you choose where you would like this to get invested in hopes that that whatever it's invested in will start Mm -hmm. to go up. That could be a mutual fund such as the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. It could be. Uh, An index fund. It could be an index fund. It could be um, any number of funds. Um, I would highly suggest that if you have – if you want to establish a retirement plan and you're not familiar with how a retirement plan works – I would highly suggest you have a conversation with an, a financial advisor. And when I say have a conversation with, I want you to feel comfortable with that person. It's possible you may want three conversations with three different advisors just to see who, who you feel comfortable with. The, people have different personalities. I'm not the best person for a, 
I'm not the best coach for someone based upon my personality. Someone else might be. It might, that might work out. But, uh, but have a conversation with at least one, possibly two or three. When I recommend people to go see one, I recommend they have a conversation first and just see, how do you feel about that person? How do you, how, are they too laid back for you? Or are, they, are they too gung-ho? Are they too uh, forceful? Um, are they too diminutive? I don't know. Um, that just depends upon who it is. But at least go find one because using a professional financial advisor is probably the best, probably the most successful way for you to, uh, to invest um, your retirement plans, uh, to invest your money in retirement plan because you don't have to worry about it. They have fiduciary responsibility to make sure that you're doing that they're investing your money in the best way they know how. Hmm. So, how exactly do you make money? Do they pay you a monthly fee? Yes. Or do you get a chunk of what they earn? Well, oh no, 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 I won't do that. I charge a fee, a monthly fee, and that will, in some ways, depend upon their income. I have I have friends who have who pay a thousand. I have I have other coach coaches who have uh, other people who have clients who pay a thousand dollars a month. I have I, there's a coach that I I listen to and and uh, mentored from um, who charges fifty thousand dollars for a six month contract. <laughs> he must be working with millionaires. And he's working with millionaires. millionaires, but he's working with very high performance sales reps and uh, consultants. And so that's a different ball game. For me, I work with people who I've always loved working with people who are relatively new in that field or relatively new to budgeting or maybe relatively new to really understanding a, uh, their relationship with their money um, and really haven't, haven't had a long history of success or uh, with their with their money and and are maybe they may be in debt they may or they if they're not in debt they just are not sure what where they need to go um i had a 19 year old who who was uh i remember the woman she just got her job she had a car no payments she had a house a small house that she could pay for she was paying 22 percent of her take-home pay on the mortgage in the house perfect and she was moving forward and she was saving money every month and she was right on she was she was doing pretty well she had some other wishes and desires and so we started working on those ideas and what it's going to take to get to those to get to those goals so um Overall, yeah, there are some percentages of of spending that I recommend, and again, I only recommend. I can't tell people what to do, <laughs> but that's my idea of coaching is is helping people understand where they are and what they need to do to to become successful in their financial life, mm. and uh, and what their goals are and where they want to go. 
Right. You're a financial coach. coach. You're an advisor, but right. you're a coach, and you're trying to get them to perform as best they can, just like a coach would of mm-hmm. baseball. You want to make them yeah. the best baseball player. You want to make them the best financial player they can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've, I've sold insurance before. I've also sold mortgages. I've sold refinances. I've, I've been a financial advisor myself. So I've had those licenses. I've, I've done that work before. I don't have those licenses anymore. But as a coach, I don't have to. I, that's why when I say I recommend you go see this person or this person or this person, have a conversation with them because I'm not the one who's going to make the decision. My client's going to make that decision as to who they want to work with. Mm-hmm. So you know, one bother. thing, this is almost kind of random, but you mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm. how – you just need someone to mentor you to keep your head on straight. That's why people should go to a coach. It's just the same with fitness, physical mm-hmm. fitness. You should go mm-hmm. to a trainer if you're particularly bad, not so disciplined, mm-hmm. and not, not so psychologically sound when it comes to your fitness because you're liable. You can't take control of yourself. You need someone to help you. And it's even worse yeah. in finances. People get <laughs> so bent out of shape, and they get so desperate and so um, – you get what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah. I heard the other day, I like to listen to these Jewish investors, actually, mm. these Jewish financial advisors and et cetera. And it's funny because why do I even say Jewish? First of all, it's not anti-Semitic or anything because nope. Nope. Jewish people, I've had a rabbi on the show. Mm-hmm. They take pride in the fact that, no, they are financially very wise. They are. And they're educationally financially the education in terms of education they're mm-hmm. very sound they are well educated mm-hmm. they take that stuff very seriously the mm-hmm. torah really capitalizes on those mm-hmm. two things a lot and he said he was given a speech one time and someone said with all due respect rabbi whatever his name was i think you guys are crooks he said well you know tell me why do you think we're crooks because I might agree with you he says i think you're crooks because you charge people a monthly rate in a down market and he says, I hear you. I think we're crooks, though, because we charge people in up markets. He <laughs> said, you don't need us in up markets, really. When you need us most is in a down market. Mm-hmm. And he had a, he told a story about a woman who was a multimillionaire, mm-hmm. and she was maybe invested in all these stocks that went down in 08. Mm-hmm. He says, Take, sell it all. Sell it all. We're screwed. We're doomed. Sell it all. I need this. Mm. He says, listen. And he talks to her over a period of months and convinces her to stay in the market. And what do you know? Things return to normal. She Less than a year. Less than right, a year. Right. And she said, or he said that she wrote her a long, him a long, long letter thanking him. Mm-hmm. Because if I had pulled out how I, like I wanted to, like I insisted on, seriously insisted on, mm-hmm. I would have, who knows if I'd have much of anything. And because yeah. I stayed with yeah. you, I have $40 million right now. No, uh, it's very difficult for people to time the market. Traders are a dime a dozen on the New York Stock Exchange and in the Chicago Stock Exchange, American Stock Exchange up there. They, there aren't. There are a number of winners, but there are also a lot of losers as well. I, for one, when I said one time, experience is really the best teacher. Um, I, I joke in saying that I got a master's degree in dumb when it came to finance because I've made such stupid mistakes. It, it's, it can be embarrassing. And I've share, I share that with my classes, um, that of the things that, some of the things that I did. So I've been where you are. 
I've understood. Now, I know people who have been up in, their, in upwards of a million dollars in debt. That's horrible. Oh, my My word. dad, my dad, God bless his soul, uh, passed away in 99. When he died, he had a mortgage, he had a second mortgage, and over $2 million in business debt. We managed to... We managed to reduce the business debt down to about 600000 We took a loss on the sale of the company. and uh, But thanks to insurance and other things um, and to the sale, uh, my stepmother uh, was able to uh, pay off the mortgage, pay off the second mortgage, and, and be okay there. But at that time... I didn't even know how bad off I was in debt. And I didn't even think about it until in my 50s. And I started really late. I love it when I can find a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 35-year-old. I have a 42-year-old who is fell off the wagon, so to speak, and needs to get back on to the budgeting and needs to needs to get back get back into her spending plan. But she's only 42. She's got 20 more years she can work with. People who are in the 71-year-old in, in Florida is, I don't know how many years she has. <laughs> but, she, but she is enthusiastic about what she, has to, what she has to do. So imagine young people, especially today, I don't know who your listeners are, your, your, who, what age demographic you're Median who, age is in their 40s. In their 40s? 40s. Well, they've got a big, they've got a big leg up than what I had, and so uh, the one of my biggest mentors, he says he got a PhD in dumb when it came to trying finance. PhD in DUMB, right? In DUMB, <laughs> because he he uh, he said he got he said he he met Jesus on the way up to a, a peak, and then he got to know him on the way down to tra- <laughs> to bankruptcy, and he couldn't breathe when he was bankrupt. He could not breathe. It was so difficult to get up in the morning. It was so difficult to sleep. It was so difficult for all the things, all these things to happen. But he step, got one step after, after the next. Now he's in much better shape now, but uh, much, much better shape. But it took him years to get, to get out of that mess. And um, I, um, I'm just so glad that I'm in the position that I'm in that I can freely, uh, I can freely help others. Um, I can't wait to start a class in uh, at Heartland College, for instance. I just can't wait uh, to help others and make a difference in other people's lives. I wish we could have classes like that in high school. We do. We can. Um, One of my fellow... I was going to say, I sure didn't have that. No. In fact, um, Florida, the state of Florida, just uh, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, the governor, just signed into law last spring a new rule for high school students. They have to take a personal finance course. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, they Good have to pass to a Santis. personal finance. Yes. And so he did that, and I hope more more states are going to uh, follow suit. I think it's imperative that they that all students learn about finances. They don't know that their parents pay for the light bill, and they keep their lights on all the time. Uh, they don't know... 
they know they don't. Right. They just don't. They and how many how many fathers and mothers have their have their kids write checks to the utility companies, to the mortgage company, to the garbage company, to whoever it may be. Um, they don't do that. They don't see what they have to pay uh, in their monthly in their monthly financial life. Mm-hmm. And I think I think people need to know how expensive it is to live. It can be cheap. If you want to live out in the hills of color, you know, the mountains of Colorado, or if you want to, live, uh, if and you want to live off the land, you know, and you shoot an elk and you slice it up and you have meat for the next th- three four months, mm-hmm. or you pay for the grocery store and you pay for you know you pay for rent and pay for a car and pay for your gas and pay for all these things. So uh, it's uh, it's a life that people take for granted, I think, in a lot of cases. I did, personally, and I don't do that anymore. We think twice. You know, you, you think twice before you make a big, a big purchase. You, you think it over. You s- sleep on it. Uh, you never know. Um, if, if a deal comes in and says, oh, it's only good for today, I said, well, maybe it's not good for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can handle that. I can live with that. It's okay with me because I have peace. I have financial peace and it's 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 worth it's worth its weight in gold. It really is. Beautiful. So. Beautifully put. We're getting towards the end here. Mm-hmm. I want to ask two questions. One perhaps mm-hmm. might be very quick though. Sure. Crypto, would you invest any of your client's stuff in crypto? Not a chance. Not a chance. I, I wouldn't. Um, I don't know anything about it, and I don't in, I don't recommend anybody invest in anything, whether it be mutual funds or anything else, unless they understand what they're doing. And I that's what I would highly recommend. That's why they that's why I say get a, a financial advisor. But yeah, crypto could be for fun. If you have money that you can burn, sure, why not? Put but, it in crypto, see if it goes up. Uh, but if it loses, I don't want you to be worried about it. If it loses, you lose it. You know, it's like entertainment. You went to a movie, you spent three bucks. Somebody said they went to a Titanic and they lost three hours. So I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but whatever it is, you know, um, I, um, I, crypto is not my, not my thing. It's way too new, and I, I don't have a clue as to and what's volatile. going on. Volatile. That's very volatile. Oh, big time. Big right. time. All right. Last thing here. For people who want to take something away from this, that mm-hmm. they can that something actionable that they can start to implement in their own lives to better mm-hmm. have better financial peace. Maybe it's don't do this quite so much, do a little more of this. What are maybe just a couple things that you'd like to leave them with? A couple things would be number one, sit down and and look at what you've spent over the last few months. And find out if it was really worth the while to spend what you did. Becoming aware is the most curative thing that most people can do to become and become aware of what they've spent so that they can think about the next time they spend their money. Um, spending it on something that they don't use, spending it on a, on a, on a walker that they don't use or on a, what are they, a treadmill. Mm. They spend money on a treadmill. They spend money on a subscription that they don't read or listen to or watch or take or partake in a gym, for instance. Um, that would be one thing. 
that would be the first and probably the most important thing to do in the beginning. Secondly, I think they would also, the next thing they would do is to take a look at their, what they're spending and make sure that what they're spending doesn't, isn't bigger than what they're taking in. Because even if people are not aware of, of what they're spending, being aware of if you're spending less than you're, than you're taking in, you're still going to be in better shape than those who have no clue and are spending wildly and, 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 and becoming, you know, way deep in de- you know, becoming deeper and deeper and deeper in debt without even any knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. And people are not aware of that. That's scary. Step way one. Way too scary. Become aware. Look become aware. Become aware. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, that's basically it. And then, and then put together a spending plan. Anybody who puts together a spending plan is better off than those who don't. Mo- almost all millionaires had a plan. They all have a plan. Rivian has a plan to build. State Farm has a plan. Uh, all, all the businesses here have a plan. They had to put together a plan to get started, to get to put together what they have. Uh, to, to put together their plan to be succeed. Individuals need a plan to succeed in their financial life. They really do. And it can be a simple plan. It could be really simple. But just do it. Just put together a plan, a spending plan so that they can so that they can make it work. Perfect. Well said. And maybe one more step in there is Visit uh, Moving Forward Today Financial Coaching and <laughs> movingforwardtoday.net. <laughs> dot mm-hmm. dot Scott Miller, it's been an eye-opening conversation. I have I thoroughly so. enjoyed it, and I'm sure everyone else will. If you enjoy this episode, if you have any thoughts, please leave them in the comments, and be sure to like and share this video on Facebook or on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you for listening and watching to this. You're listening to and watching this episode of the Paul Garcia Show. That was Scott Miller. God bless everyone and have a great week.